The Selfish Path to Romance. Download Chapter 1 for free at drkenner.com and at amazon.com. How many people do you tell I love you? Some people vomit that word. They say it to everyone. I love you, dear. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And it becomes meaningless. Now, other people will never say it. And yet you can feel their love. And sometimes people, it's just a very touchy word. Sometimes people say it with a sing-song type approach. I love you. Or they say it beggingly. I love you, meaning, do you love me? So one listener asks, what is the rationale behind the words, I love you and love you? Uh, Her name's uh, Tasha. Uh, And I want to talk about that for a moment. I love you. Three simple words. I love you. That presupposes something. If you hated yourself, how could you, you, a hateful person or a person that you think is hateful, love anybody else. So to say I love you, Ayn Rand, my favorite author, Ayn Rand, she's the author of The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged, both at my website, writes, uh, well, she writes, to say I love you, one must first know how to say the I. You must have self-esteem. She and she doesn't say you must have self-esteem. I added that. And she said the man who does man or woman obviously who does not value himself cannot value anything or anyone. And that's from her book The Virtue of Selfishness and that's a real eye-opener. Can you imagine the virtue of selfishness, self-valuing, you never step on anyone else cuz you wouldn't respect yourself if you did that and you don't allow other people to step on you too. So in love Thinking about love, my co-author, Dr. Ed Lau, talks about two people in a marriage or in a partnership as egoism a deux, the French words, egoism for two. That means there are two solid individuals. No one is playing, becoming a doormat for the others. You know, in the 1950s, the woman was usually the doormat for the husband, or that's the stereotype. And then in the 1980s, the the women's lib movement, or 1970s, we're trying to reverse the... uh, the tables and make uh, men the doormats for women and both are wrong obviously so you want to be able to think of the people in your life who you love make sure you're someone you love first and when you feel like you can share with them when you genuinely feel that emotion of loving them for their good traits tell them you love them because you want that's that's the exchange that you're giving. You don't want to say I love you because you're pitiful, or I love you because I I, I love you because it seems like you need me to love you. Um, again, quoting Ayn Rand, she said, "A selfless love would mean that." Hey, I got to interrupt this because we've got to pay some bills. Thirty seconds. That's it. A very quick ad, and then Alan will be back. Romance. Oh. I wish guys knew more about what we want from a relationship. (laughs) Boy, I wish I knew more about what I want. Where's that ad I saw? Ah, here it is. The Selfish Path to Romance. A serious romance guidebook. Download Chapter 1 for free at SelfishRomance.com and buy it at Amazon.com. Hmm, The Selfish Path to Romance. That is interesting. 
A selfless love would mean that you derive no personal pleasure or happiness from the company and existence of the person you love, and that you're motivated only by self-sacrificial pity for that person's need of you. So you think of many marriages where people cling to each other after decades or one really can't stand the other person and the other but they stay in the marriage for the kids sake or for whatever the heck reason they tell themselves but I would never want to be loved that way I would never want a selfless love it is not love so you want to take a closer look at your relationships and make sure that you're not ah uh, you're not selling yourself short and also that you have the courage to express your love openly to the people who matter in your life i'm dr ellen kenner you're listening to the rational basis of happiness and here is an email from john this is a six-year-old boy telling fibs and think of your own childhood when you told maybe a fib or two to your parents. Dear Dr. Kenner, my six-year-old boy has been telling fibs for about six months now. His imagination produces unbelievable fabrications. This behavior has extended towards his mom. We're separated for three years, me and his grandparents. Is this some sort of, sort of age normal? I mean, I guess he's saying is it normal for this age? What can two concerned parents do to work through this phase? This is wonderful when you say two concerned parents because it sounds like you're not at war with your wife and you have a six-year-old kid who's been through the process of divorce and he's lying. There's no way about it, around it. You're saying he's producing unbelievable fabrications and I wish you had given me an example of one or two of these. But let's say that he's he's telling... Um, he's telling you that he got straight A's in school when he didn't. You know, he's trying to make him, in that case, he might be trying to make himself look better or he wants your approval. Let's say that he's telling his friends that his parents um, are very wealthy and own 20 cars and uh, and the cars are all, uh, I don't know, what would a kid, six-year-old kid say? They, they all have, uh, they all can fly too. And, you know, maybe he's just feeling inadequate about friends who may have have more wealth, you need to use what's called the natural consequences with him because you don't want to label him as a lying kid and then that becomes his, the way you look at him. You look through those lens. You want to find ways to help him break out of the mold of a lying kid. So first, you want to, anytime he tells the truth with a light touch, you want to say, you know, that was nice. You said this and it was exactly what you said. He's got to see why lying is wrong firsthand. I would get the book, How to Talk talk so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk. I think chapter six, six deals with this issue of breaking kids out of a bad role. And the chapter, instead of punishment, will help you see how you don't become a wimp with this, but you don't do what most parents do when they steal from your purse. You're never going to screaming and yelling, and then the kid wants to steal even more, and you worsen the problem. So you want to help him distinguish between the truth and falsehood and creativity. If they're imaginative um, stories he's telling, try to have him, try to help him develop a creative side, but to never lie to you, to never fake reality. And here's a little more from Dr. Kenner. Let me read something. Oh, no, 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 no. I never, I never let anybody read my stories. Why not? Well, what if they didn't like them? What if they told me I was no good? I don't know if I could take that kind of a rejection. 
That's obviously Back to the Future with George McFly. And, you know, most of us have had that experience of just we produce something, whether we write a paper for school or we're, we learn a dance routine, and you're just afraid to go out in public because you're afraid of not people who are going to cheer you on, unless you think they're doing it in their phony, but you're afraid of rejection. You're afraid of scowls. You're afraid of people rolling their eyes or telling you a thing or two. And you don't ever want to be afraid of reality. You don't want to be afraid of people. You don't want to set yourself against people. You know that well-worn statement that you want to be able to dance as if nobody's watching? Well, you want to be able to go through your life as if you don't have a whole bunch of people wearing goggles staring at you, glaring at you. You want to get to the point where you've got psychological independence, where their evaluation of you is important only if it's reality-based. Meaning if someone says something that's true, you know, you use a lot of slang, and I find that off-putting, and you don't like that you use a lot of slang, you drop a lot of F-bombs or whatever, then you can clean that up, and that they've actually given you a gift. If they say something that's untrue of you, then you can either correct them or just ignore it. You want to have an approach towards people where you're not afraid of them. For more Dr. Kenner podcast, go to drkenner.com and please listen to this ad. Here's an excerpt from The Selfish Path to Romance, the serious romance guidebook by clinical psychologist Dr. Ellen Kenner and co-author Dr. Edwin Locke, who's world famous for his theories in goal setting. It is important to introspect and to do so with the attitude that it's exciting and fascinating to come to understand yourself. What is the worst thing you can discover? That you have mistaken ideas or poor thinking methods, and these can be corrected. Many individuals don't know how to introspect effectively and efficiently, but at least they make honest attempts to understand their emotions, and they make some headway. Even keeping a journal when one experiences unsettled emotions or talking things through with a trusted friend or if needed a therapist helps with self-understanding you can download chapter one for free by going to drkenner.com and you can buy the selfish path to romance at amazon.com